As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. The Porta Tree motto is quality in everything we do. And that comes through with every Porta Tree product I've used myself. Porta Tree products are designed and manufactured in the U.S. by racers just like us. Check them out at www.portatree.com. Be sure to use discount code DRAG10 for 10% off of your order. This week's podcast is brought to you in part by Bill Taylor Enterprises. BTE is a manufacturing, design, and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine, and street performance. With over 50 years of experience in drag racing, BTE has been a trendsetter and innovator, placing themselves and their customers ahead of the pack. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. This offseason, it is our goal here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to interview each of the 2018 world champions. That's the NHRA Sportsman Champs, the NHRA Summit ET Series Champs, and the IHRA Super Series Champions. Today's show is an extension of that pursuit. Today, we welcome 2018 NHRA Top Dragster World Champion, Paul Nero. Paul is a Division Six runner in the top dragster ranks. In addition to winning this year's title, he finished second in last year's title pursuit to eventual champion Lynn Ellison, so he is no stranger to the rigors of the points chase. Paul is a multi-time national event winner, multi-time division champion. He's been involved in the Jags All-Stars, you name it, in the world of uh, sportsman drag racing and specifically 
in this relatively brief history of Top Dragster, Paul Nero has done it. It's time for the big interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jen. All right, joining us now on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast as we continue our pursuit of interviewing each of the 2018 national champions in NHRA and IHRA, we've got the 2018 NHRA top dragster world champion, Paul Nero, joining us. Paul, in addition to being this year's world champion, was a close second, finished runner-up in the national points a year ago in the same category, multi-time national event winner in a couple of different classes. He has qualified for the Jags All-Stars. You name it, he has done it. And uh, Paul, thank you for uh, taking some time out of your schedule to join us here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, share my story. Absolutely. Um, let's let's start where this all started for you, because obviously you have reached uh, the pinnacle of of our sport in a lot of ways. Um, nobody starts there. What uh, as far back as you want to go, like earliest racing memory? How were you first introduced to our sport? You know, my my racing history kind of mirrors your racing history a little bit, as far as I started out racing with my father. Um, he kind of had a bracket car, and we just kind of ran the Northwest around here. Actually, uh, he went to the first bracket finals up here. I think it was in 1976. And then kind of, you know, hung around with him, followed him around, me and my brother, and then uh, took some years off. And then I had a car. I ran in some high school stuff, and then took some more time off and decided it was time to get a race car and go racing. And uh, I ran Super Street from mid-'90s to... 2000 and then uh bought my first dragster in 2001 and kind of just been doing the dragster thing since uh since then and then when nhra finally uh, decided top dragster was a national class or actually a divisional class i started running that and kind of been where it's been ever since prior to your top dragster days was it more bracket competition for you or more super comp or combination I ran, yeah, Super Street, I ran a little bit of divisional, more bracket racing, a um, couple of good local tracks up here, Woodburn, Oregon, and uh, Coos Bay were good bracket programs, so a lot of weekly bracket stuff, and then uh, started to kind of dabble in the, what was called Top Comp up here, which is before they split Sportsman and Dragster apart, ran that, and then, uh, yeah, big bracket races up here, we don't have as many opportunities up here in the Northwest, like you do in other areas. So you're a little bit forced. I don't want to take forced, but to race a lot, you've got to do NHRA racing. Sure. Sure. And the, you're in Oregon. You've, have you been in that specific area basically all your life? Yeah. I've uh, Portland and the Eugene area all my life. And, uh, grew up like you say racing with your father. Is he still around? Yep. Yeah, he's still around. He doesn't race anymore. He comes to the track uh, occasionally. Um, yeah, he's still around, still comes over and helps me clean stuff and, uh, you know, little tasks here and there. He enjoys doing that. Still a part of your racing, at least on some level? Correct. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. Um, okay, now... This obviously first NHRA World Championship, but you certainly got a taste of 
what this is like a year ago, you know, or what it's like to come down to the wire, um, ended up number two in 2017. How did that um, experience prepare you for the, the pressures of, and everything, I guess, that goes along with this year's title run? I don't think anything totally prepares you for being out front and watching everybody try and catch you. But uh, um, last year I, I didn't go to one of the five potential claiming national events. And I had, uh, you know, lots, lots of friends call and, and hound me about that. Tori Lee, which is a long time, great racer up here said, man, I had a chance years ago and he didn't go once. And he's thought about it for the last, I don't know, 20 years. So I kind of, thought, you know, I, I did leave one on the table. I could have maybe done better. So it made me set my schedule this year to where I wouldn't let that happen again. I would make sure I get all five national events in instead of uh, leaving it at four. How big a challenge is it just from a logistics standpoint to make the schedule from where you live? Uh, there is a fair amount of windshield time. Um, <laughs> so on the, on the, on the West coast, you, uh, you know, you're basically the five national events out here. You don't have a choice to pick or choose them. There's just five basically west of Colorado or Dallas. So you start in Pomona, which is about a 19-hour drive for me. And then Phoenix, which you just leave your stuff in that area. But Phoenix is another 21 hours from home. And Vegas is 17 from home. So basically... My closest national event track is Seattle, and it's it's four and a half for me. That's it's nuts because I think for most of us on the East Coast, like when we think about West Coast racing, like it just all kind of lumps together. Like you live in Oregon, that can't be that far from California, right? And that's every time that I go out there, I'm reminded by just how big a territory you guys covered, even to get to in division or what would seemingly be close, you know, out of home division events. Yeah, you're correct. I mean, just, I mean, 19 hours on the East Coast gets you past a lot of towns. Or out <laughs> you here, get through a lot of states, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 different. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know we don't have toll roads, which is a plus, and we have a lot less traffic on there is. But you know, you spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about what you're going to do. And the worst part is if you have a bad outing, you got a lot of time to drive home and think about what you did wrong. <laughs> sure. Sure. You, uh, you alluded to uh, what I, I think in most cases is a unique scenario. You, you did your work early in the season, um, wins back to back wins at Phoenix, the national and the divisional back in what, February, early March. Um, another win uh, or another pair of finals in back-to-back division six events up at mission and Woodburn in June and July. And at that point, your total was essentially set. You, you added to it at the Sonoma divisional, I guess, just looking at your ledger, but to your point, that's, um, I, I mean, your total was set for good basically in July. And at that point, it's a massive total and it looks good. And I think you had more points than any of the recent, top drag extra world champions maybe any in history I, I didn't i didn't do my homework there but you know that it's a good total but then that's still what three plus months of sitting and watching everyone take their shot at it what was that like uh excruciating <laughs> it, uh, <laughs> I, I, I blew a lot of saturdays and sundays where i had this great honeydew list and uh yeah it didn't happen um it's uh with today's 
media coverage, D3 TV and NHRL access, you know, you can pretty well watch almost everything anymore. So it, uh, yeah, it's uh, a lot of analyzing, a lot of watching pretty, uh, I, I think you could tell yourself you can prepare for it, but once you're in that situation to sit there and watch like that, it's pretty rough. I mean, I'm sure in your post championship stuff, you had some times where you just, you, you say you're not going to watch, but guess what you end up doing all day Saturday is watching the computer. Yeah. You can't think about anything else, right? I've been on both sides of that coin. What, um, when you look back on your season and I guess you may have answered this in the intro, obviously you're coming off of a second place finish and you make the plans to attend the events to give yourself the opportunity um, to, to make a run at it again. But was there a point in the season and maybe it was as early as those back-to-back wins in Phoenix where you just said, wow, this is, this might all come together. Like this might happen this year. You know, the turning point where I really started to think that was uh, Mission Canada, which is one of our dude and six tracks. Um, I lost a, it's a double header. So I lost a really close race at the first double header. And on the second double header, I had uh, a gentleman named Dave Jackson in the semis, super good race. And then I had another really good racer, Casey Joe Bootsman in the final. And they were both super tight. I mean, double O type margin uh, victories. And at that point, I thought, you know what? this might be the year because those, those races are dropping. The electricity is coming to my side, not the other side at that point. I thought this might be it. No doubt. When you look back, whether it was in that event specifically that you earmarked or, or not, is there any round or rounds that stand out that you look back and go, maybe that could have gone either way, or that was a big break, or that was a round that I drove awesome and had to, that when you look back may have made the whole difference in that championship campaign. You know, the, where it really comes down to be is, uh, is the Phoenix Divisional. I, uh, I sprayed up to get on the ladder to kind of the 32-48 car field thing here comes into play. But in Division, in division 6 and 7, we have 48 cars. So there may be some guys on the bottom side of the ladder that are not having a great weekend. So I sprayed up to get a guy that was struggling. He didn't show up for first round and at about 1100 feet or so I broke a rocker arm and was five or 600 slow and uh, would have been beat easily was able to come back and fix a rocker arm and ended up winning that race. So that was potentially a, a 75 point swing right there on that round. No doubt. And that's one of those little things that like you say, when you look back, that's potentially a 30 to a, a one Oh five. Yeah, exactly. Um, in your case, and granted, keep in mind, this is easy for me to say from the outside, um, of all of the title chases this year, yours was probably the least dramatic. Like it seemed like a foregone conclusion in July. (laughs) That's again, to everyone on the outside looking in, obviously when you're in the situation, you're hanging on every wind light from every division across the country. Um, so I typically ask about drama down the stretch. In your case, there wasn't a ton. Again, easy for me to say, but you did come into Vegas, and I don't believe you could even claim that race. I think you were done, but Mark Jones had a shot. His only racer, I believe, that had a shot. He had to win the race to uh, to unseat you for the championship. What? Obviously, you were there. Um, take me through the, the weekend a little bit, your thoughts coming in, and then ultimately um, what clinched the championship for you. 
you know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to go to Vegas, but I kind of told myself, uh, I can't stand to watch this computer anymore. So <laughs> I had, to, I just decided I was going to go down there. Then Shane Thompson offered uh, to let me drive one of his cars. So, uh, my intention was to try and, you know, potentially try and get Mark and see if I could do it myself, but that didn't work out. Um, and, uh, just Mark, I've lost a good race second round and kind of filled it up. Just at that point in time, it was, it had gone so long. I was like, whatever happens, happens. It's either meant to be, or it's not at that point. I mean, if he comes, if Mark comes from Louisiana and wins the Vegas division, which is normally a very tough race, um, you know, I got to shake his hand and tell him that's pretty awesome, dude. So just, they fell the right way. Yeah, no doubt. And how awkward a feeling is it to basically watch this from the, the bleachers or wherever it is that you're watching and you, you almost, I would assume, feel bad to root against anyone, but you know that if Mark loses that you're the world champion, like, is, is that an awkward dynamic for you? Uh, you know, yeah, a little bit. I mean, you never want to root against someone, but sure. at that point, obviously, you want to see them lose. I mean, and, and as it was, it worked out well. He he lost a good race. It wasn't like a horrible race that he lost, or he didn't screw up and, you know, cost his chance. He just lost a good race. So, um, you know, hats off to him for making the attempt of coming out here to try it, because I don't know if you'd get a lot of guys that would try that that's a pretty long hole late in the year <laughs> yeah no doubt no doubt but i mean how many opportunities do you have in that situation too so the, yeah. uh, we you talked a little bit earlier about just the the logistics from where you live to the the hardship it is to simply get to enough races to compete and i think to some extent and this is my personal take on it like i feel like to, there's there's so few world champions that have come out of division six over the years, like Jackie Alley comes to mind further. There's probably a, a couple more. You're probably more familiar than I am, but that I think is more due to the simple travel constraints and the idea that there are so few specifically national events in that area. Um, I guess you'd already discussed a little bit as to how difficult that is to, from a travel standpoint, but how much does it mean to you to represent your division on that type of stage? You know, it, it means a lot. Cause I mean, all the, you know, all your division racers kind of stick together and they all kind of know each other. And I think most of the people out here realize that it, it can be more of a challenge just for the lack of events and the travel time um, to just, it's, it's more difficult out here. I think, you know, so, so from the East Coast, probably tell you it's more difficult from there. But from a standpoint, it uh, you know between having a car that you have to qualify, which in Division Six, our cars are definitely a little bit slower. So you have to kind of commit also to getting your car quick enough to qualify, which is another obstacle. So I know it's, I'm proud to represent Division Six, and you know I'm kind of a local bracket racer, so it's kind of fun to be just a local bracket racer that that did well on the national stage. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And I think to some extent that's how anyone that reaches that pinnacle feels. You know what I mean? I think we all kind of look back at our roots at some point. And um, 
again, specific to your area, there have been so few champions come out of there, which I don't, people look at that as a, as a, as a knock against the division. Like I say, I think it's more travel and logistics related than anything. The, the, the one thing I've learned in traveling is that competition is pretty brutal everywhere. It's usually, it takes on different forms, but like it ain't easy to win whether you're in new media or Pomona or anywhere in between, you know what I mean? So, uh, to, uh, to your point, um, we've talked a lot on the podcast throughout the season about the lack of consistency, I guess, nationwide in both the top dragster and top sportsman categories with the 32 car field versus the 48 car field, West coast versus East coast and how it's uh, in a lot of ways, um, certainly a different dynamic, if not essentially a different class from one region of the country to the other, um, which is really unique to those two categories. I would say you understand this, you you understand the argument from both sides, like the, the diehard go fast guys that are want everything to be a 32 car race to the more bracket oriented inclusion, uh, every, include everyone, so to speak, 48 car field. And you've seen both sides of it. I'm interested from your take, like what is your position on the idea of making it universal? And if it was to be made universal, which side would you lean toward? Well, I agree with the absolutely it needs to be universal, whether it's 48 or 32, it, it needs to be the same. So a guy running in Florida has got the same opportunities that a guy from Oregon has. Um, you know, a lot of people kind of, the 48 car field only gives you an advantage if you win. If if you win the fifth round in any other division in six and seven, you get 95 points. If you win the fifth round in our two divisions, you get 84. So in a way, you're behind in rounds and points all the way to the final. If you win, yes, you get that 10 extra points, but you uh, you get less points up to that point so it's kind of a give and take it's pros and cons i guess um no that's I just a, know the guys back here. so i don't Go mean ahead, to sorry. interrupt like that's a really good point that we don't necessarily take into consideration because and we i think went over this once on the podcast to the the advantages that you may have by being in a six round race and then quickly followed it up maybe the next week by saying it's not all sunshine and roses because it is it's a it's an odd um, I, I, I want to say like it's it's kind of a self uh, fixing way that NHRA does points, but it's odd because as you mentioned, uh, your forty eight car field. So obviously, there's another round into the races in Division six and seven, which means that there is potentially an extra ten points on the table. But to illustrate like what you had just mentioned in a six round race, if you were runner up, that means that you won the fifth round, and you would get eighty four right. points. If you won the fifth round at a five-round race, obviously you win the race and you get 95. So you've won the same number of rounds, but in a in any division other than six and seven, you would actually get 11 more points for that. And that actually trickles down every single round, not as significantly, but it's basically one extra point per round to win a round at a five-round race over a six-round race. So say a third-round loser would get 52 points rather than 51 and you just think well that's one point but over the course of the season um that can be a big big deal so it's not maybe not not an advantage at all to race in a 48 car field but it is definitely and i'm i'm with you whether you 
lean towards the 32 or lean towards the 48, my overall opinion is that it just should be universal nationwide, one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you think about it, if a guy, if a guy, a guy loses fourth round of every one of his divisional races, and he's on the 38-2 or 32 car or the 48, the guy in the 32 car field is going to score five more points than the guy in the 48 car field. So they went the same rounds, but he get more gets more points. So it, ne- it needs to be uniform. I mean, I don't really care which way it goes. I mean, the 32-car fields are pretty entertaining to watch back east. I mean, there's some unbelievably fast stuff. Um, the the side that people don't realize about the 48-car field is, so say you're going to Seattle and it's a 48-car field. Well, injected in that 48 cars, you're going to probably have 8 to 10 local bracket racers that can now run top dragster because they can qualify. And on Saturday night in Seattle, if they're home track, they're a tough race. So you've got those guys that can sneak in and contend with. So quite often those extra 10 to 12 cars that get in can be pretty badass racers and tough to beat at their local track. Yeah, I could definitely see that. The Now, well, I think that you could get racers from all seven divisions to agree that there should be uniformity. Do you ever really see that happening? Because there's such a good argument to be made for the 48 car field. And I hear that from the West coast guys. And uh, to me, there's a really good argument to be made for the 32 car field in a different part of the country. Like, do you ever see a compromise coming together? That's a tough question there. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it uh, I guess, well, what we think it probably doesn't really matter. It's the powers to be that, that matter. Um, I would like to see NHRA take it to, Decide which way they're going to go, and 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 just decide. I mean, whether it's forty-eight car field with a max dial of seven flat or thirty-two, you know, fastest guys, and it's going to get crazy. And just you know, I guess take it from the level now where it's it's still a national world championship class, but you know, it's. They haven't really totally said, okay, you're going to be just like Super Comp, Super Gas, Super Street, and or Super Stock, and and make the rules uniform to everybody. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that ultimately you're right. The decision really can't be a compromise among like the division directors. I guess it has to come from the top. And honestly, you we could sit and debate it all day long, but whatever that decision was. I think everybody would adapt to relatively quickly. Yeah. I mean, that's, we're all racers, right? I mean, if they tomorrow said we're going to go eight fifty, nine fifty, and 10 50, well, so they, we'd grumble about it. And guess what? The next weekend we'd all be dialed in that number. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll adapt to it. I mean, I, I get where the 48 cars, you know, they want to run it and, and I get where the guys have spent a lot of money to go fast, kind of frown upon it because well, well there's, 630 bumps, I think, was it St. Louis or actually, no, St. Louis when they only got one pass, but right, right. Um, you know, that I mean, go back when you started running, I think the the Vega, the Roadster with your dad. You know, when a guy came out in bracket race, he was going 830s. I remember thinking, how can this guy bracket race that fast? That's 830s, <laughs> right? You know, and now these guys are going 610 wheel racing. It's like, holy Toledo, what, what has become of this? But I mean, it's going that way, and at some point in time, 
I'll have to change to a super comp on the side of the scoop because I don't have the means to be a six O car. So that's just, uh, I've kind of taken that for at some point it's going to happen. I'm going to have to deal with it. Sure. No, to your point, I mean, it was, I guess before I was driving, which certainly doesn't seem that long ago, but at the little eighth mile track that I grew up at, there was a plaque in the tower that was the four second club. And if you went for something, you got your name on the plaque. Like it was a big deal. Now, granted to our younger listeners, that's another time, but this is like 25 years ago. And now like it doesn't hardly seem like you see a dragster that's not dialed in the fours, you know, in an eighth mile competition. So it is amazing. And there will probably be a time where going whatever, you know, six teens to the quarter is not, doesn't seem like that big a deal. It's hard to imagine right now, but it, I, that's that's the way that technology in our sport progresses, I guess. Um, yeah. Back to back to your racing, Paul. Uh, you have uh, you've climbed the mountain, and I would imagine, I don't know for for many at least, the perspective now would be a little bit different than it was a year ago. You know, coming off of that runner-up finish and having the the hunger to to put the one on the scoop, you've done that. What are your uh, does it change your outlook going into 2019 at all? Or does it change your plans? Are your intentions to, to pursue this again? My intentions are the same as they were last year. I'm going to, I'm going to do the five nationals, the eight divisionals. And my goal, you know, the stretch goal is 600 points. Um, the realistic goal is I'd like to repeat with top five in the nation or pardon, pardon me, top 10 in the nation and top five in the division. I think if I do that, that'll be a successful year. I mean, it's, I'm sure you had this too. After you come off one, it's like, man, it, it makes it a little hard to set a goal because you kind of got to your goal. So what's the next goal? Right, right. The, uh, and to your point, you had 608 last year. And is that the highest score in top director history? He'd probably know quicker than me looking it up. I know it's the highest in the last two I, or three years. I think. I can't remember if it was – I think Strickland had 618. I think he was one round more, I think, last – or uh, two years ago, I think. Okay. I'm actually looking it up now. I'll see if I can verify that. But regardless, like you say, if you put up 600, you should win the championship. So, And, and regardless, I guess you can't control what anyone else does. If you, uh, if you put up 600, that's a heck of a season. Yeah. that I mean, that was my goal was, was – 600 i figure if i get to 600 i would be satisfied with whatever came of that result strick had 610 he asked you by two points paul okay <laughs> that was okay that there's the a little more prolific season in top dragster history <laughs> yeah it was uh, you know it's weird how it goes up and down one year it's a little bit low next year it's high and you know i I've, i kind of i like your math when you I know you say you only got 10 people to listen to that, but I, I actually like when you dissect the points because it, it's, uh, it, it's entertaining to me because it's, it's, if you don't do the math, it's quite interesting. But from afar, people just look at the points with the points, but there's so many things that play into it and, and whatnot. I, I enjoy that part, so keep that up. Oh, no doubt. I mean, you can tell from listening, like I find it fascinating and a, and a chess match within it. So I appreciate that. What, um, 
obviously the talk in the uh, top dragster and top sportsman community is the inclusion at next year's U.S. Nationals. Obviously, that's a long, long way from you and would require a, a borrowed race car or something like that. Like, does that appeal to you at all? Would you, uh, do you have any plans or trying to put together any plans to make it to Indy? I absolutely am going to try and make it there. I don't have any plans yet. Um, the, the good for, thing for me is by that time of the year, I should have my five national event claims in. Mm-hmm. So it will be a total just for fun deal. So, you know, I know you got lots of listeners. If anybody has a car fast enough but doesn't have the grade points, uh, let's work out a deal. I'll be there. How uh, Have they announced how many entries they're accepting for Indy? Is it 40? Or do you know? That's, as far as I know, it's 32 qualified, 36. But you know, okay. I'm sure that number. I'm sure that number will swell with, you know, past national champions, silver card members, and gold card members. You have the potential for 40 to 45 cars to be on the grounds. I would think. And I would just imagine that the prestige of Indy, the the area of the country that it's in and assuming that, you know, all sessions get had, which usually Indies so spread out that there's a pretty good chance of getting several sessions in anyway, any, any venture to guess what the bump might be there. I'm going to guess in the six twenty to six thirty four thirty five range. I mean, the, the wild card is it's going to probably take an eight to get in. So you may have some cars that get in there that aren't as fast as we would think because of the grade point deal. Because some of the fast cars around don't go to a ton of races because they're just they're they take some maintenance. They have some issues sometimes. But I'm going to say 628, 629 is going to be. If you can't run that fast, you're going to be a little bit nervous come fast qualifying. No, that's a good point and a fair one. But it will uh, definitely be a spectator sport, as Top Dragster tends to be. It is fun to watch. Um, this uh, this is your platform, Paul. Nobody gets to this point alone, even though it, we tend to get awarded as an individual. I'm sure there are several people that have played a role in your massive success. So I want to give you the platform to uh, to give credit where credit is due. Well, obviously, I'm going to start with my wife and kids first because they allow me to uh, devote a crazy amount of time to this sport we like to do. And uh, preparation, you know, I'm sure you spend lots of nights in your garage just uh, going over stuff. Takes a lot of time, a lot of sacrifice. Um, Mo Trujillo, he, uh, a few years ago, he helped me with my nitrous tune-up, and he has helped me with that for the last couple of years, and it's been on point. Um, it works very easy. It's very simple for me. Um, it makes a lot less stress at the racetrack with that program, the way he does it. A um, couple sponsors, uh, Rad Torque Systems, Dan Provo, um, Dave Stickland, Stickland Motorsports, Shane Thompson, Silver State. All those guys have helped me a lot over the years. Um, without them, I, there's no way I could run Top Drive the way I do without their support. And then product-wise, Mickey Thompson, BP Racing Fuels. Um, they helped me out quite a bit. That's uh, that's about the top of the list right there. Give us a little bit of insight on your combination, like uh, as far as chassis builder, how big is that motor, and what is your typical, like are you always racing on spray? Do you get to run just motor at the points meets, or what's your typical approach there? Well, it's a 2004 undercover four-link dragster. Um, it's a 632, 12-degree 
rear Morrison 12 degree headed motor. Um, on motor, I'm a 690 car at like 192, 193. I spray just enough to go fast enough. And I, I only have one parachute that's getting changed though, but right now I can't go over 200. So I shut it off to go 199, 198 quite a bit. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty simple combination. It's nothing exotic. It's your bracket combination with a little bit of, about a 175 horse nitrous kit for about five seconds. And, the in the, you just national events, I run it at all national events at divisional races. I quite often will, play the ladder a little bit so i'll probably run on motor and then if i need to move on the ladder i will spray to a certain spot which i run my nitrous kind of like you would run your throttle stop i can put it shut it off on the timer and it's you know <laughs> about one second is about 5.300 so i can set it pretty tight so if i'm looking for a spot i can try and jump into i just set the timer up to shut off and uh and i'll just play the ladder if i need Nice. A little bit more to that than meets the eye. Um, how now, obviously with the, the 200 mile an hour limit, you're uh, a little bit constrained, but how fast have you been? Uh, this car, 199, 96, I think. No, enough that the NHRA guy, uh, six, six sixty-eight. I think it's best I've been. Gotcha. What, um, and like you said, you're, uh, it sounds like a pretty minimal nitrous tune-up that obviously seems like it's easier to maintain. Is that what I'm getting from your, from your, uh, setup with Mo? Yeah, I haven't, I mean, I'm going to get a little bit more aggressive this year because I'm going to put two parachutes on it, but I've, I've had the NHRA guys shaking the finger at me at the <laughs> shutdown area a couple of times because they're pretty aware how, how, uh, close I've become. So, uh, I'm going to change that and get a little more aggressive, but I mean, it's been knock on wood. It's, it's been super simple. I mean, there's some stuff that everybody just thinks, pull the bottle on and go, but nitrous pressure, bottle temperature, you know, if you can get your car set up to where I can monitor all that in the car, it, it makes the car, it makes it a lot easier. The program's simple at that point when you get set up like that. Sure. And going back and forth, um, as you have like to just run it on motor to spray and like, Obviously, there are some variables that you just mentioned in the in the nitrous combination itself that that people without it don't think about as far as bottle pressure and heat and everything like that. But assuming that all of those variables are in check, um, the common consensus is that nitrous cars are a little bit more consistent just because you create your own atmosphere. Would you agree with that, or is that a little bit overblown? Well, now you're going to give everybody the secrets. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous <laughs> is what it is. Really? It, uh, if you think your car is, uh, if you think it's good on motor, just if there was a way to put a 50 shot on it and bracket race every time I went out, it would be on the car in a heartbeat. I mean, it, I, when we first set it up, I had a hard time dialing the car because I was over dialing the car. It's like, it's got to slow down. It's got to pick up. No, it's going to run the same. Um, it, it's incredible. It, it really equalizes everything very well. All right. Good stuff, Paul. Um, you know, you know, uh, we've, uh, you know, we've kind of gone through your season and we've talked racing to this point, but it sounds like you're a, a pretty regular listener to the podcast. So, you know, we're not going to let you off the hook too easily, right? You up for a little rapid fire? Uh, absolutely. 
All right. Um, whether this is uh, current or, like I say, you've got a long history in in, uh, in racing and being around the racetrack, so this may come from decades past, but um, racer that you currently or have most looked up to? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, it's a, it's a family. So the, the Morris family up here, I'm sure you're familiar with Andy and his wife, Casey Joe and Dustin, and, uh, and Stan Learcamp, that was a group of guys up here that early in the 2000s were kind of, I would say, ahead of the curve as far as car, chassis, setup, converter setup. And uh, I pretty well copied everything they could do, as much information as they would give me, because Stanley's a little secretive on his uh, stuff, but I would, I would poke and prod and get what I could. And I pretty well copied everything they did, which made my program go from you know, I'd say an A program to an A plus. How, uh, all right, that's, that's probably our last racing question, but that was a good answer. Um, how many, uh, how many keys are on your key ring? One. Simplicity. I like that. You just got to start the car, right? You just got to start the car. (laughs) Sunrise or sunset, Paul Nero? Sunrise. Why? Well, that's going to tell you what the whole day is going to be. Out here in Oregon, it might be raining, and you know you're going to have to have a tough one, or if it's nice outside, it's going to be a great day. How uh, how old were you, and when – or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, let me reword this. How old were you when you had the worst haircut ever, and what was the style? Oh, I'm sure, high school. That was <laughs> – was it business in the front, party in the back? Don't they say hockey hair? <laughs> what they call it? Yeah. Were you yeah, rocking the mullet? Out. That was the, oh, absolutely, hundred <laughs> uh, percent. All right, uh, you just won the world championship, and let's just say that it is um, not location dependent. But uh, we're going to go out to celebrate. Where are we going for dinner? Ooh, that's a tough one there. Um. Yikes, you got me stumped. I'm going to say, and I, I don't, uh, I'm going to say this for my wife. We're going to go to Disney, uh, Disneyland for dinner because that's her favorite place. So just, that, that's where we're going for dinner. You just won the and World Championship. Yeah, you know, that sounds kind of cliche, but yeah, that would be, that would be, because uh, you know, they put up with a lot, so we could uh, give them one for it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Good stuff, Paul. Again, man, thank you for uh, taking the time um, to uh, join us here on the podcast. Again, congratulations on an uh, an awesome, really, two years, but uh, specifically championship campaign in 2018. Best of luck to you going forward. And uh, again, thanks for spending some time with us here. Thank you. I appreciate it. I really think uh, that I remember when you guys first started this and it's, uh, it's grown some legs. And it's, I mean, I have friends that actually listen to it that that don't race just because they want to, it's cool. They want to see what's going on. They like to hear what's going on. And um, I don't know what your listener, what, how many numbers listeners, but man, it's got to be growing because it's really good. Thank you. We appreciate that. And if you've got friends that listen, that makes us feel great. Like they're the ones. So. <laughs> but I, oh, I got to say a go team. I got to say a go team Jed since he put, you know, I had to win because he uh, put the pressure on me. So. It's, uh, you know, after he said that, it's like, I better, I better go for it now. 
He did. You were you were representing. I th- I think you were his lone champion, which I don't know that I had more than one either. So, but uh, so that, that doesn't necessarily make him look good or bad. But uh, I'm sure that he appreciated that. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's good fun listening to you guys. I I get entertained every time I listen to it. It's uh, it's kind of fun. Awesome. Appreciate it, Paul. Take care, my friend, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you down the road soon. Thank you, Luke. Appreciate it. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. For most racers around the country, we are approaching the off-season. What better way to use the off-season to ready for 2019 than to have a regular practice regimen? Portatree products make great gifts for racers. If you are assembling that wish list this holiday season, make sure to put Portatree on the list. From full-size trees to the practice tree that we personally use and recommend, the Eliminator Next-Gen Touchscreen Practice Tree. Portatree has all of the practice equipment that you'll need. For more information, call Portatree, 1-800-541-7613. Find them on Facebook or check out www.portatree.com. Be sure to use discount code DRAG10 for 10% off of your order. BTE is one of a few full-service transmission companies with a full array of manufacturing and testing capabilities. Their in-house CNC facility is paired with an extensive collection of gear hobbing and shaping machines to produce any high-performance driveline product. From inception, BTE's racing products are designed, prototyped, field-tested, produced, inspected, and even shipped by real racers. Just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, their warehouse and manufacturing facility in Mount Pleasant, Mississippi is stocked with thousands of parts and is centrally located in the United States for fast delivery anywhere. All right, that wraps up this episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. On behalf of Big Jed, I'd like to thank you for listening. And of course, I would like to thank this week's championship guest, Paul Nero, uh, for joining us today. In addition, I want to thank the sponsors who make it possible to present this show. Please show them the support that they are showing you in Sportsman Drag Racing in general. And of course, Tell us what you think. You can message us on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can add us on Twitter. I am at Luke Bogacki. That's B-O-G-A-C-K-I. Big Jed is at JP11X. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom ball before a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty switching feet like Jerry Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. 
Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect. Led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.